So today we are looking at the parable, which is usually called the parable of the prodigal son. And that's a, a, a okay title, but I, I think there might be a better one, and I'm not the only one who thinks that. There is a prodigal son in the story, a son who breaks all the rules, walks away from his father, and lives a life pursuing sin. So there is a prodigal son in the parable, but he's not the only son in the parable. Jesus also wants to point out an older son who I'm going to call the outwardly obedient son, the outwardly obedient son, who in a sense has also left the father, because while he keeps all the rules, he's not doing it because he loves the father, he's just doing it because he wants to get stuff from the father, the outwardly obedient son. But I don't think the parable is mostly about the prodigal son or about the outwardly obedient son or even about both of them. I think that the main point of the parable is about the welcoming, forgiving father in the story who is so full of love and mercy and compassion that he wants both of them to come back to him, the welcoming father. So let's turn to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. This parable taught by Jesus divides into four sections. First, verses 11 through 16, where Jesus answers the question, what does the younger son do? What does the younger son do? Start reading in verse 11. And he, Jesus, said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now what this son did was shocking. Because in that culture, usually what a son would do, because of his love for the father, the whole family, but this parable is especially focusing on the father, usually what the son would do because of his love for the father would be to stay on the family property, building a house for his wife and family and keep working the land because he loves the father joys being with the father delights in the father but this younger son had no interest in the father he wanted to leave and so he asked for his inheritance early and then went away to a far country and what happened Verse 13, not many days, I'll start verse 13 again, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So the younger son took all that the father had given him, and he wasted it. So he ended up having nothing. He ended up feeding pigs. Now, for a Jewish young man, a kosher Jewish young man, this would have been the lowest of low jobs because pigs were considered unclean, obviously. This would have been a shameful job. And to make it even worse, it paid so little that he's hungry and wanting to eat the pig's food, the pods that the pigs were eating. And Jesus wants us to understand that we've done, we've all done, what this younger son did. See, God is our Father. He created us. He created you. He gave you life and a body and strength and abilities so that you could have the joy of knowing Him as your Father, loving Him, trusting Him, worshiping Him, pleasing Him, obeying Him, delighting in Him. That's where your meaning is going to be found. That's where your fulfillment is going to be found. That's why you're here. That's why we're all here. But we've all said to God, I'll take my life, my body, my strength, my abilities, but I don't want you. I don't want you. And we've all walked away. We've all walked away and tried to find meaning and fulfillment our own ways. And we've been left empty, just like this young man in the parable, because there is no lasting, full meaning or fulfillment outside of knowing God through Jesus Christ. There's no lasting meaning or fulfillment there, and so we've all been left, just like the prodigal son, empty, hungry, needy. But the story does not end there, thankfully. The next question this parable answers is, how did the younger son change? How did he change? Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Changed. How did he change? Well, he came to himself. He woke up to what was going on. He came to his senses. He saw that all the food he needed was back in the father's house with the father. So he decided to return, and he he'd planned his speech. 
Here's what he's going to say to his father. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. And I am no longer worthy to be your son. But treat me as one of your hired servants. This is a powerful picture of repentance. This is what we have all needed to do. Because, if you think about it, we've all been prodigal sons, prodigal daughters. Every one of us has been. We've all been deceived by our sin. We've all turned our backs on God and tried to find our meaning and our fulfillment apart from Him. We've all been prodigal sons or prodigal daughters. Every single one of us has been. But the question Jesus wants His listeners, the listeners to this parable to ask is, are we still there? Are we still prodigal sons, prodigal daughters? Are we still with the pigs and the pods? Are we still there? If you are, then Jesus, this afternoon, He has you here to hear this because He's calling you to do what the younger son does. Come to your senses. Wake up. Admit, you're turning your back on God has left you empty and hungry. Admit that the food you need is with the Father. It's back at the Father's house. And agree that you're not worthy to be His son, to be His daughter. But you'll be anything as long as you can be back with the Father. You'll be anything. So what happens to the son? He returns, returns home. Verses 20 to 24 answer the question, how does the father respond? Remember, the son had dishonored, greatly dishonored the father. Everyone would have been stunned to hear, the son did what? He took his money and left? Everybody in the town's talking about it, the town's abuzz with it, this would have been deeply shameful to the father, dishonoring to the father. And now the son's coming back. How does the father respond? Start with verse 20. And he, the younger son, the prodigal son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I think this is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. And there are lots of beautiful verses. But oh, church, this is glorious. Notice the son is a long ways off. He didn't come to the front door and he's there knocking. No, no, he's, he's a long ways off. Maybe, maybe he's down, there's this country road and like he's a little speck there. He's walking like my son walks. Or, or maybe he's coming over a hill, maybe a couple kilometers away and I think that's my boy. Long ways off. And while the son was a long ways off, the father saw him which shows that the father, amidst other things that he's doing, he he's, keeps looking up 
glancing over the horizon. Is my son ever going to come back? So the, maybe the father's there like negotiating a corn sale with some buyers and while they're discussing his most recent offer, he's, he's looking up off into the horizon. Oh. Or maybe while he's teaching the hired servants how to sharpen a plow, he just takes a break to look up. See, the point is that the father is looking. He's not forgotten his son. He's waiting. He's watching. He's longing. And he sees him. My boy! And verse 20 says, he ran to see his son. Now you need to understand, Jewish men don't run. Jogging was not a thing back in that culture. Jewish men were distinguished, stately, dignified. They don't run. <laughs> the father ran. Ran. Robes flying, running. And then the son was a long ways off. So the father was running to his son. Didn't wait for his son to get there. Running to his son. And when the father got to him, he embraced him. It means he fell on his son's neck, just right there, and embraced him, and he kissed him. It's amazing. Keep reading in verse 21. Remember, the son had his speech prepared, and he gives his speech. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Remember, this is the speech the son had prepared. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But at that point, the father turns and shouts to the servants. Instructions to the servants. You say you're not worthy to be called my son. Servants? Here's what he tells them, verse 22. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. These are all signs of sonship. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes. Only sons wear the best robe. Only sons wear the father's rings. Hired servants wear bare feet. Sons wore shoes. Get the robe, get the shoes, get the ring. You are my son. Imagine what the prodigal would have felt. Keep reading in verse 23. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The word celebrates repeated twice by the Father. It's time for a party. And this is a special occasion. The fattened calf was a calf who was fed a special diet of grain that would make the meat particularly tender and tasty. This is not like every weekend. No, this is, this is the fattened calf calf. This is a special occasion. So the father's saying, it's time for a celebration. Everyone, my son's home. My son, my son is home. 
So don't miss how amazing this is. The son was unworthy to be his son. He had left his father, going far away to get, get away, shaming his father, dishonoring his father. And this is what we have all done. We've all done this. And the father, who represents God, receives him, runs to him, welcomes him, embraces him, takes him in as his son. Son. Now think about this. What did the son have to do in order for the father to take him in? Did he have to be on probation for a few months to prove himself? No. Did he have to be a hired servant, start as a hired servant to show his sincerity? No. Maybe work for a year to show that he's really changed? No. What did he have to do? He had to turn from his sin and come home. Turn from his sin and come home. Now listen, no man-made religion talks that way. No man-made religion talks that way. All man-made religions say that you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to do that before you can come back to earn your way back to the Father. That's what they all say. All the man-made religions say the same thing. Different versions of what you have to do, all things you have to do to earn your way back to the Father. But man-made religions are just that, man-made. They're not from God. They're not true. God sent Jesus to tell us the truth. This parable is the truth. This is the truth. What we must do is turn from our sin and come home. But this does raise a crucial question, uh, which is not answered in this parable. But Jesus answers it throughout the Gospels and the whole Bible answers it. The crucial question is this. Hadn't the son done wrong? And didn't his wrongdoing need to be punished? Didn't it need to be paid for? And the answer is yes. He had done wrong. And his wrongdoing did need to be punished. It did need to be paid for. And that's true of all of us as well, right? We've all done wrong. We've all sinned. And our wrongdoing, our sin must be punished. It must be paid for. And Jesus was very clear that we can't pay for our sin. We can't be good enough to pay what needs to be paid for our sin. So how can it be paid for? By Jesus dying on the cross. Oh, this is important. How can your sin be paid for?
How can my sin be paid for? Like the old hymn, What can wash away my sin? What's the answer? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus was punished on the cross to pay for the sins of everyone who will turn from their sin and come home. He said, it is finished, paid in full. Think about it. All your past sin, paid for. All your present remaining sin, paid for. All your future sin, paid for. Paid for, paid for, paid for. It's all paid for. It's all paid for. And so when we regain our senses and see that the food we long for is back with the Father, the Father's house, and when we turn from our sin and head back home, trusting Jesus' death to pay for our sins, trusting that because of Jesus, the Father is going to welcome us. When we do that, we will be forgiven. We will have the Father running toward us. We will be embraced. We will be kissed. We will be daughters. We will be sons because of Jesus. That's the truth. So where are you? is the question Jesus wants his listeners to ask and answer. Are you still with the pigs and the pods? Are you still trying to find your own meaning and fulfillment? Are you still hungry and needy and empty? Or are you turning from your sin, heading back to the Father's house, experiencing the Father's embrace, knowing his forgiveness, knowing you are his son, his daughter? That's the question. Where are you? And now Jesus has one more point to make in this parable. In verses 25 to 32, he answers the question, how did the older son respond to all of this? What about this older son? Start with verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he, the older son, heard music and dancing. Can you picture the celebration going on? He heard the music and dancing, and he called one of the servants. So the older son called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. What's this music and dancing? And he said to him, your brother has come. Your brother's come. And your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. Now stop there. The older brother was angry. Why? Why would he refuse to join the celebration? Why would he be so angry? Well, keep reading and we get some hints here. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father, again, notice the father's heart. His father came out and entreated him. Don't you love the father? Came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, 
These many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's angry. He's angry. Now why? Well, notice he had obeyed for years. But notice why he obeyed. He says nothing about the Father. Nothing about loving the Father. Nothing about wanting to please the Father. All he talks about is what he hasn't gotten from the Father. Stuff he hasn't gotten from the Father. That's what he's talking about. He wanted like a goat so he could celebrate. And notice, he didn't want to celebrate with his Father. He wanted to celebrate with his friends. Nothing about the Father. So if the younger brother was the prodigal son who breaks all the rules, walking from his father, plunging into sin, the older brother was the outwardly obedient son, keeping all the rules, not because he loves the father, but because he wants stuff from the father. This is explained more in verse 30. Look at what we read. The older brother says, verse 30, But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So the older son was angry because he was keeping all the rules so he could get stuff from the father. But the younger brother, the younger son, was breaking all the rules And he was getting stuff from the father. Again, this shows that the older brother was outwardly obeying the father, keeping all the rules, not because he loves the father, but because he wants stuff from the father. That's his whole focus. And here this younger brother, he's broken all the rules, and he's getting stuff. Yes, I'm angry. For years I've lived this way. Look at how the father responds in verse 31. And he, the father, said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Notice especially verse 31. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. In other words, how could the older son have been angry when he's always had the father there? He's always been able to be in the presence of this father who is so loving, so generous, so gracious, so kind. How can you be angry, son? You've always had me, and everything I I have is yours. See, what this shows is that the older son had already left the father. The older son had already left the father. Not in his physical location, but in his heart. He'd left the father. He had no interest in the father. He was keeping all the rules, not because he loved being with the father, but because he wanted stuff from the father. So Jesus wants us to ask, 
Are we just outwardly obedient? Such an important question. Do we focus on keeping the rules, being honest, be going to church, be saying my prayers, loving my spouse, loving my kids, paying the bills, not getting drunk, cleaning up my language, keeping all the rules? Are we focusing on just being outwardly obedient? Jesus wants to, us to ask, why do we do those things? Why do we do them? Is it because we love God? Is it because we love fellowship with God? We, we love pleasing God? We love glorifying God? Or is it just because we hope we'll get a better life from God if we do those things? Why do we do those things? That's what the older son was doing. Obeying God Yes, but not because of God, because he wanted things. And that might be true of some of you. I mean, think about it. Be honest with yourself. The older son needed to return to his father as well as the younger son. Not by changing his physical location, but by changing his heart. He needed to see that if he was just outwardly obedient, he would end up being just as empty as his younger brother had become out in the world. He needs to see that he will find meaning and be fulfilled only in loving the Father, knowing the Father, glorifying the Father, pleasing the Father. So I would guess in a group this size, some of you are just outwardly obedient. Oh, it's a dangerous thing. You can be in church and be outwardly obedient, right? Only you know your heart. But tonight, know your heart. Know your heart. The younger son needed to return to the father, turn from his sin and return to the father. The older son needed to turn from his sin and return to the father. Turn from your sin and return to the father. Now, a word for those of us who have turned from our sin and are in the Father's house and are seeking to be inwardly obedient, not just outwardly obedient. I think that this parable is a, is a picture of, of what we experience in this life when we are saved, right? We turn from our sin, we come back to the Father, because of Jesus' death on the cross, he's running toward us, he embraces us, he kisses us. No, you are son. No, you are daughter. It's a picture of what happens in this life. But I'd like to apply it to what you might experience when you enter heaven. I just want you to think about entering heaven. Here's why. We all know how much we've sinned, right? And it's easy to think that, well, because of my sin, I'm just going to kind of slide in through the back door and maybe just stay in like the back rows. I'm just glad I've made it. I don't just, I'm just glad I'm here, okay? Just, I'm just gonna hang out back here in the back somewhere. But I think this parable points in another direction. 
Doesn't this parable encourage you to think that when, when you arrive in heaven, you will see Jesus off in the distance? But before you saw him off in the distance, he saw you. That's why he's running. He's running. He's running. You're home. And he's smiling. And he's rejoicing. You're home. You're home. And he embraces you. And he kisses you. Daughter. Son. Welcomes you. No sliding in the back door of heaven. No hiding in the back rows. Jesus, your Savior, will be running to you. <laughs> that day is coming. He's worth it all. Let's stand. Open our hearts, Lord. Set us free from the deceit of pursuing meaning and fulfillment anywhere apart from knowing you, Father, through Jesus. Set us free from the deception of outward obedience and not obeying out of love for the Father. Cause us to turn from sin, come home, and fill us with joy in what we have experienced in your welcome and what we will experience in your welcome. In Jesus' name, amen.